it's a little bit of a gray area right now in terms of who's going to win and then, of course, what the implications are of that in terms of policy. But I think investors can take to heart that fiscal support is going to be there regardless of, of who gets through. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. With the federal election just around the corner, many investors are reevaluating political risks in their portfolios. To this end, Kevin Prince, Alfred Lee, and Chris McKinney explore the potential for a minority government and what it could mean for positioning the Canadian side of an investment portfolio. Our experts also discuss the prospect of higher U.S. corporate taxes, whether the current volatility is seasonal or cyclical, and how inflation concerns can be eased on both the fixed income and equity sides of the portfolio. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, this is Kevin Prince from BMO Exchange Traded Funds. Welcome to join us today for another piece of insights right from the desk of our portfolio managers. Joining me today is Chris McKinney and Alfred Lee from our portfolio management team. General, thanks for joining me today, and let's get right into it. I'm going to start off with Chris, if I can. Chris, you know, we're, of course, we're in the election right now. You know that, of course. Um, all eyes are focused really to that election next week. Parties made those major announcements, and certainly with tax and spending implications. Along with that, we're seeing the polls come in. The polls are really kind of pointing to a potential for a minority government. Now, the background with both the announcements and the potential for a minority government, what are some of the considerations for positioning you know, the Canadian holdings in an investment portfolio? Give some thoughts, please, on the, both the equities and the fixed income side. Thanks. Sure. Thanks, Kevin. And, um, yeah, obviously, you know, the Liberals um, about a month ago or so, you know, calling this election in, in the hopes of securing a, a majority government in order to be able to, to fully push through their um, agenda. Um, and of course, uh, ever since the, uh, the election was called, um, the polls have showed that the likelihood of that majority is, is getting lower by the day almost. Um, you know, recent polling suggests, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a bump there. Um, and so, you know, recent polling suggests maybe there's still an outside chance that the Liberals are able to uh, pull out a majority. But absent of that, um, it's looking like it'll be a minority government, either the Liberals or Conservatives um, being the ones uh, to, to, to try and form the government. Um, and so, you know, obviously it's, it's not very clear cut as to what the policies are going to be going forward, regardless of, of which party wins the election, um, because they're, they're going to have to be some give and take in order to secure enough votes to get these, uh, uh, these things through through Parliament. So, um, you know, it's a little bit of a gray area right now in terms of uh, who's going to win and then, of course, what the implications are of that in terms of policy. Um, but I think one thing that investors can look at is that across the board, really, um, all three major parties um, that have uh, released their platform, 
there's a significant amount of spending um, that will be happening. You know, I think we mentioned this uh, on one of our previous podcasts, but um, if you take a look at the conservative platform, that generally tends to be, um, you know, a little bit tighter on the purse string, so to speak, uh, when it comes to government spending, they're projecting uh, a balanced budget in about 10 years time from now. So that's certainly a very, very long time. Um, and this is for the party that generally um, is, is more concerned with, with balancing the budget and not overspending. So um, I think investors can take to heart that fiscal support is going to be there regardless of, of who gets through. Um, there are maybe some small differences that will affect certain sectors a little bit differently. You know, the Liberals came out with their uh, proposed tax on financial institutions. They're calling that the recovery dividend. Um, and so, you know, you could see a little bit of pressure on financials because of that if the Liberals get through. You know, overall, I don't think the impact is going to be too significant to totally affect someone's viewpoint on whether to invest in Canadian banks or not, though. Um, you know, maybe the, the one major difference here uh, between the, the two major parties that look like they can form a government, the, the Liberals and the Conservatives, um, is their pricing of the carbon tax. So how that impacts the energy sector, of course. Uh, Liberals suggesting that carbon tax goes up to about $170 a ton, I believe, by 2030, um, whereas the Conservative Party only wants that to move up to $50 a ton. So that would provide some support to the existing energy uh, complex, so those oil and gas names um, that that everyone's familiar with. Um, ZEO would be the ETF to to look at in that case, Um, you know, with conservatives coming through, you know, there's probably a little bit more support for ZEO and that oil patch um, versus uh, the Liberal Party if if, if they get their their platform pushed through. So I think, excuse me, that's the one area where you see some difference. I think on the other side, though, the longer term implications for energy that sort of structural shift to EVs, electric vehicles, less reliance on fossil fuels um, is supported by by all major parties. And so I think there will still be some support um, for alternative energy sources, regardless of of who gets through. And so, um, you know, Zed Clean, Zed CLN would be our ETF um, solution for, for that sort of sector. Um, and again, I think that's going to win regardless of, of uh, which party um, ultimately gets elected. Um, it's just a question of how supportive, right? Um, you know, Liberals and NDP probably being a little bit more supportive of those uh, companies in that sector versus uh, versus what the Conservatives might be. But all in all, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, again, a lot of fiscal support should be expected, again, regardless of which um, um, party gets elected and that's really good for the economy in general across the board um you know so anyone looking to invest in canada i think um you know utilizing the zcn just the broad market exposure i think makes a lot of sense there and then you can again maybe tweak um some of your sector exposures with some of these sector etfs depending on what your views are in terms of uh, who might get elected or or after the outcome happens and, and we're a bit aware you know positioning your portfolio that way um, but really, I think the the best idea is maintain that core allocation, whether it's ZCN or or something similar, and then utilizing some of those sector ETFs to potentially play around with either increasing or decreasing your exposure to to, to any one of those those sectors we were discussing. Oh, Chris, thanks for that. Appreciate the insight. Alfred, let me turn to you. 
Now, we've certainly seen the U.S. now talking about increasing taxes on corporations. You know, how much is this a consideration given the fiscal and the monetary stimulus that has been put into the market? Give us some thoughts around that, please. Sure. Um, so, you know, the U.S. market is definitely, uh, you know, concerned about these um, tax hikes. Uh, so even though fiscal and monetary policies have been driving the market, um, you know, where the Canadian market has been kind of more focused around the election, the U.S. market has been focused you know, on a number of different things, including, you know, things like uh, Delta inflation, Fed tapering that have been weighing on the market, but also, you know, this tax proposal that was unveiled earlier this week, I think it was Monday. Um, so, so far uh, in the proposal, the tax hikes were less aggressive than what a lot of the progressives were looking for. Um, so a number of the key kind of items that were included were uh, a 3% surcharge on the ultra-rich. Uh, so the ultra-rich being defined as those making $5 million a year or more. Um, also, the Democrats want to restore the top individual tax bracket to 39.6%, uh, which the, Republican, the Republicans cut to uh, 37%. Um, but, you know, to, to mention, you know, the corporate tax rate, as you mentioned, uh, they want to raise that from 21% to as high as 26.5% uh, is what they're proposing. So, you know, at this point, it's still unclear in terms of, you know, the overall revenue generated from all these tax hikes, whether it's going to offset Biden's, you know, Build Back Better Act, uh, which is, um, you know, his initiative that covers a number of different things, uh, not just economic spending, but also a lot of social initiatives as well. So uh, not just, um, you know, the economic recovery plan, but a lot of you know, economic fairness, the infrastructure plan, uh, the green and clean energy projects. Uh, amongst, you know, a number of different things. Uh, so the price tag on that uh, Build Back Better Act is, is targeted to be about $7 trillion. So it's, it's unlikely that you know, a lot of these tax hikes are going to, you know, cover the entire bill, but at least it's going to offset some of it. Uh, but the likelihood is that, you know, the uh, Republicans are going to get, you know, um, provide a little bit of pushback. And also the Democrats that are more you know, centered along the political spectrum, they're going to likely push back to some of the tax hikes as well. Um, so it's estimated that if corporate tax hikes end up to be, um, you know, 25% rather than the 26.5% that they're proposing, and if they get um, half of their proposed increases on foreign income tax, uh, the expectation that is that it's going to reduce S&P 500 earnings by about 5% in 2022. So it isn't going to have an impact on the market. Uh, right now, I'd say the market is still digest, uh, digesting a lot of, you know, the, the items and the tax proposal at this point. Uh, but it's likely that it's going to face some revisions in the next coming weeks. But, you know, regardless of, you know, where we end up or where the U.S. ends up in, in terms of tax hikes, um, we're going to see, you know, higher taxes in the U.S. Uh, so as a result of that, you know, even outside of, you know, what we see in the tax hikes, I think it's a good reason to revisit in how you're positioned in uh, in your portfolio right now. Um, I think defensive growth-oriented areas, uh, which have you know looked very good over the last couple of months, I think those are something that investors should be looking at. So things like low volume quality, uh, both of which have been performing well lately, uh, but prior to the COVID crisis, you know those factors were performing really well. Um, I think coming off the market bottom, I think the market was you know, kind of chewing away at some of the low-hanging fruits. So things like, you know, um, you know, small caps, mid-caps, the value trade, which did very well in the reopening uh, trade. Um, some of those tend look like they're fading against some of the more defensive growth-oriented areas right now. So ZLP, which is our 
uh, Canadian low vol ETF. I think that's a good way to get exposure to Canadian equities. Uh, but also ZUQ, which is our uh, U.S. quality ETF, I think that's a good way to uh, position within uh, the U.S. equity market, you know, regardless of what comes about with this uh, tax plan. Thanks, Alfred. Appreciate that. And we'll keep a good monitor on that as it keeps developing. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 83 in the same podcast series where Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, introduces his new U.S. all-cap strategy. This exciting new ETF, ticker ZACE, ZACE, helps you invest across all market cap exposures to capture growth in companies both big and small. Hey, Chris, let me come back to you because, you know, one thing we've certainly seen more recently is volatility. It's coming back into the marketplace. We're seeing it again this week so far. Um, You know, is this kind of more that seasonal aspect we're all familiar with? Or there's some other considerations going forward. Can you give us some thoughts on uh, positioning here too, please? Sure. And, you know, I think there's probably a couple of different things that are going on here a little bit. You know, first off, um, as you mentioned, yes, volatility does seem to be coming back into the markets a little bit. You know, the S&P selling off here in September. um, So it's, you know, at its lowest level in about a month or so. So, you know, not uh, any earth shattering volatility or anything like that, but at the same time, um, you know, just um, uh, investors realizing that, yes, the market doesn't go just in one direction. It doesn't just go up. Um, there, there is some volatility here, potentially. Um, in terms of that seasonality aspect, you know, actually, if you take a look back at probably the last decade or so, um, seasonally, September has actually been a pretty good month for volatility. Volatility meaning volatility is generally depressed or lower um, during the month of September, and you, you tend to see it pick up more through October, um, but certainly through December and January. So if you are worried about the seasonalities of volatility in the market, um, again, just utilizing the last 10 years as sort of that guidebook, it's December and January where you do see volatility um, picking up uh, in, in the equity markets in a significant way. Um, so just, again, something to keep in mind there. In terms of, you know, why now then with the S&P selling off a little bit with that volatility coming back, you know, I think there's a couple of things happening and part of it is just that markets are really high already. So, you know, the S&P has reached, I think it's 53 or so um, new all-time highs just in 2021. And I think that's um, probably the highest number in any given year for, you know, going back um, 25 years or so, so back to the mid-90s. So the market can't just keep hitting new all-time highs. Um, there has to be some, some balance there to some degree. And so I think investors are starting to position um, for a little bit of that coming off. You know, we had a good earnings season previously, the last earnings season, but the forecasts were a little bit grayer, right? And so I think obviously that's what investors are starting to get concerned with now. Next earnings season's coming up. Um, you know, there haven't been as many forward guidance, positive surprises. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with Delta variant, how that has um, suppressed economic activity, has it suppressed economic activity? There's a little bit more gray area there as to, um, you know, is this economic expansion, is it starting to slow? Is it still firing on all cylinders? 
Um, and so I think there's a few different things that investors are starting to, to weigh here um, in advance of this next earnings season. If you take a look at the options market and what that's telling us, um, investors are increasingly being concerned with a little bit more of a sell-off. So you're seeing a lot more of that put protection buying, the cost of those puts, the cost of that portfolio insurance um, has gone up uh, in recent times to a very strong degree. So you are seeing investors um, not only just, you know, with a bit of a sell-off in the, in the S&P, but also positioning for potential, um, you know, further sell-offs. And I think that makes sense, again, as we're heading into the fourth quarter, as we're heading into um, the end of the year, you know, a lot of investors have already had a fairly strong year, again, with the S&P reaching all-time highs um, over and over again. Um, I think a lot of investors are just starting to look at how do I de-risk my portfolio, at least to some degree, at least a little bit, and maintain these gains that I've made throughout the year. Let's keep those um, through year-end. So, you know, a couple of ways to play it. You know, Alfred talked about a bit more defensive quality um, exposures like ZLB, low volume quality, ZUQ. Um, so, you know, if you wanted to stay invested in the equity market, I think that makes sense here as well. Um, the other way, of course, is to, um, you know, invest in some of our strategies that monetize that higher volatility, like our covered call suites um, or our premium yield or put right ETFs that are outright selling um, that, that protection that investors are now bidding up and buying. So, again, at, at record highs, um, it makes sense to be the one who's selling that, right? So, um, again, the premium yield, ZPay, and our put right ETF, ZPW, um, do that uh, very, very, very well. Um, and then our covered call ETFs are a bit more fully invested. So you're, you're maintaining that foot in the equity markets, um, but you have that covered call stream, that income stream, and that, you know, directly is tied to the level of volatility. And so as volatility increases, you get a little bit more premium out of those covered calls. So investors that want to stay fully invested, but want to monetize that volatility, um, you know, take your pick as to what geographic or sector exposure you want and look at, into that covered call area. Thanks for that, Chris. Appreciate the insights. And yeah, it's something for us to watch there going forward, the volatility. Hopefully it uh, slows down a bit in the next little while. Alfred, let me come to you because, you know, certainly an ongoing headline story is inflation, right? The news announcements came out today in regards to word CPI again, which again puts it as the top news story. And that's a key consideration for any advisor and their ongoing clients. Can you give us some thoughts on how advisors can kind of help ease the concerns of their clients in the backdrop of inflation, please? Yeah. So, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, inflation is still very much a headline risk at this point, um, still very much a concern of the market. So even though when you look at the U.S. EPI numbers that came in yesterday, uh, the year over year number came in at 5.3 percent. So that's, you know, well, well above the 2 percent long term. Uh, Fed Reserve target. Um, but, you know, since the year over year number, as we've been highlighting is, you know, um, it's, you know, it, it's it's a number over a lower number. So it does kind of, you know, suffer to or, or it's impacted by you know, what's known as that base effect. Um, the market yesterday was more focused around that month over month number, which came in at 0.3%. So the survey or the market expectation was for the month over month number to come, at, come in at 0.4%. Um, so the market uh, took a look at this and also, you know, because it's the second month where it has been, um, you know, trending lower or the second month in a row, um, some of the people in the market is, you know, they're, they're suggesting that this is proof that 
inflation is uh, transitory in nature and it's caused by a lot of the you know, COVID-restricted uh, lockdowns and, and some of the supply chain disruptions and, and whatnot. Um, I, I say it's still too early to tell whether that's true or not. Uh, one thing to consider is that a lot of the industries in, in terms of goods and services, they do exhibit a lot of price stickiness. Um, Canada's number, as you suggested earlier this morning, just came in at 4.1%. Um, that is a little bit higher than expectations, was, which was calling for 3.9%. Uh, but overall, I think it's U.S. inflation that will be you know, driving the market because that's what's going to be impacting uh, the Fed's uh, tapering policies. Um, so the good news for the advisors and their clients is that you know, so far, at least it looks like inflation is slowing. Uh, so even though inflation is still uh, relatively high, it doesn't look like it's increasing, at least if you look at the numbers over the last couple of months. Um, but as I mentioned, I think, you know, one thing that I think investors are overlooking at this point in terms of inflation is that, you know, if prices go up, um, in a lot of industries, they're, they're likely to remain high. But um, as I mentioned, it, it, at least at this point, it suggests that CPI uh, doesn't suggest that there's runaway inflation. So for investors that want to position their portfolios, uh, you know, we always talk about in terms of fixed income, um, offsetting duration risk with things like, uh, U.S. tips like our ZTIP ETF uh, that focuses on, you know, short-term um, treasury inflation uh, protected securities and also ZRR, which is our real return bond ETF. Um, but in terms of the equity side of the portfolio, I don't think uh, we highlight enough, you know, how to position in terms of, you know, if we continue to see inflation, what to do in the equity side of the portfolio. But I mentioned quality in the top of the call, but I think quality is well positioned if we see uh, inflation and whether we see uh, Fed tapering as well. And the reason why is because you know, with these ETFs, they're screening for you know, specific accounting metrics, things like you know, high ROE, uh, low earnings variability, which means that if you're screening for companies that exhibit these qualities, uh, the likelihood is that even in an inflationary environment, and even if we see Fed tapering, uh, these companies have a higher probability of you know, generating a revenue and generating income uh, no matter what the economic backdrop is. And, and another metric that I like is uh, because they are screening for companies with low financial leverage, um, if the Fed starts tapering, the likelihood is that we, we're going to start seeing you know, a steepening of the yield curve, which means that you know, the cost of carrying that debt or the cost of refinancing is going to be more onerous on companies that carry a lot of debt. So uh, because a lot of these quality companies and these ETFs uh, have low financial leverage or low debt, uh, they're going to be much better positioned in uh, in an inflationary environment. Uh, that's very interesting. Thanks for the additional insight there on the equity side too. That makes a lot of sense. Hey guys, we got a few more minutes here. I got a number of questions, and I do want to thank all those people out there who took the time and effort to send us a question in, and those people who do it on a regular basis. For anybody who wants to send a question in and have it answered in this show, no problem whatsoever. Just reach out to your local. Uh, BMO ETF specialist, or basically any of your BMO GAM contacts out there. Let me start off with uh, you, Alfred, right? We're certainly seeing, um, you know, rails be in the news uh, more recently. And we're also seeing uh, infrastructure, uh, sorry, um, ZIN at all-time highs. Can you give us some thoughts on, uh, you know, the construction and the transportation aspect of that uh, particular ETF, industrial? Yeah, so uh, I would say industrial, I mean, you know, compared to a couple months ago, uh, industrial uh, a couple months ago looked really well positioned given that it, you know, due to the reopening trade, a lot of uh, cross-border activity was expected. 
Um, I still like this this sector. I think it's still very well positioned. Um, you know, now uh, with you know Delta looking looking like it's going to be um, around for for quite a bit. And you know, the initial thoughts a couple months ago was the expectations is you know, the vaccines was going to get rid of COVID completely. Uh, so some of the names in the sector have been negatively impacted. So things like Air Canada, uh, since the end of July, it's been down 8.8%. Uh, but when you look at some of the more commercial-oriented names, so uh, things like Cargo Jet, which is you know very similar to, name to Air Canada, but it you know deals with the transportation of uh, goods, uh, that's up 7.8% since the end of July. So you know very uh, different story or, or very different outcome than, than Air Canada over the last couple of months. Um, but as you mentioned, I think, you know, with the rails, um, it looks like, you know, KC Southern isn't going to, um, you know, or it looks like it's a done deal with uh, CP Rail. So I think, you know, with a lot of the money in the rail space, that's that's dead money for the time being. But outside of that, I think there's a lot of positive news in the industrial sector. So a lot of the construction-related names, um, I think they're very well positioned. So, you know, Acon, uh, S&C, Lavalin, Stantec, I think they're going to benefit uh, from that 7.5 uh, 7.5 billion infrastructure spend that the federal government announced a year ago, but a lot of names like you know Tormont, Finning, Russell Metals, they're going to indirectly benefit from you know an expanding economic uh, recovery as well. So um, I still like this trade, especially with the reopening of the U.S. Canadian border. Um, I think it's a little bit more of a mixed bag compared to a couple of months ago, um, but I still like uh, the sector overall. Thanks for that, Alfred. Good insight. Appreciate it, Lonnie. Let me turn to you, uh, Chris. And certainly, uh, this individual looks at the low volatility is highly on the global mail for flows, and that the money is actually returning towards that strategy. Give some thoughts on what's driving that trend, please. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of investors might have been, um, let's call it, a little bit dis- disillusioned, maybe, um, with low vol. You know, during the March 2020 sell-off. Um, you know, in general, low vol strategies, you know, didn't protect to the downside as much as we've seen in previous uh, drawdowns. You know, certainly low vol strategies, uh, uh, again, generally across the board, sold off less than the broad market, but not to a significant degree. Um, and then on the rebound, you know, I think Alfred mentioned it was almost easy pickings. You know, the small caps and mid caps were, were what rebounded first and low vol kind of lagged again for a little bit. So, I think there was a period of time there where investors might have been questioning, you know, um, how well Loval played that role in, in investors' portfolios. But I think, you know, that was more of the anomaly rather than, you know, when you look at um, the large amount of history we already have. And then, of course, you know, the period of time since then, Loval has been back to, you know, acting like Loval. Um, you know, certainly here in 2021, markets have provided pretty strong returns. And for the most part, low vol strategies, you know, depending on the geography, of course, but for the most part, they've kept up with providing um, exposure to that growth. And they've been doing it, again, with less volatility than the broad market. You know, tie that back to some of my my previous comments on, you know, markets hitting all-time highs, investors thinking about, you know, maybe de-risking a little bit here. Um, You know, of course, staying invested in the equity markets, but de-risking that portfolio a little bit. I think low vol makes a lot of sense right now. Alfred mentioned it in a couple of his comments as well. Um, you know, ZLB in particular for Canada, ZLU um, in US, um, and ZLI for international equities. Um, you know, I think for a lot of investors, they want to stay invested. They just want to take a little bit of that risk off the table. And I think that's what's been driving the flows recently. 
Thanks for that, Chris. And last question for you, Alfred. Uh, ZDO, what's driving the recent rebound? Give some thoughts, please. I'd say, you know, um, it's, it's been both a story of demand and supply. Um, up until a week ago, I'd say it was more mainly, you know, a supply story. Um, U.S. oil supply obviously has been impacted by a lot of the uh, tropical storm they've been getting over the last couple of uh, weeks and months. Um, so Hurricane Ida, uh, for example, even though that was more than two weeks ago, um, it's had an impact in terms of uh, oil production down in the U.S. So it's estimated right now that 56% of the Gulf of Mexico production is back online. So they're not quite up to uh, full speed yet. Um, also, a lot of the U.S. rainfall along the Gulf Coast, uh, more specifically around Texas and Louisiana, uh, that's had an impact in terms of the refinery operations as well. So you know, supply has been weighed down uh, because of that. U.S. oil output. Uh, but more recently, um, demand has also been uh, part of the equation as well. So earlier this week, the IEA, which is the International Energy Agency, they released their oil market out, uh, oil market update report, uh, which essentially outlines their expectations for energy demand for the rest of the year. So they expect uh, oil demand to increase by 1.6 million barrels a day uh, starting in October and then rising throughout the end of the year as well. So right now, you know, when you look at WT uh, oil, so the front month contract is trading at about you know seventy dollars per per barrel. Uh, that's generally a positive for Canadian energy, given that you know, a lot of the Canadian energy companies tend to be higher cost producers. Um, so that's good for the majority of the companies in ZEO. Um, so a lot of the Canadian energy companies tend to be more leveraged towards higher oil prices. So when you look at ZEO, for example, it's up you know six percent uh, so far month to date. When you look at the U.S. energy se- sector, it's only up two percent in Canadian dollar terms. Uh, the additional catalyst, as Chris mentioned, I think, is that if you do have a conservative win, uh, that's going to be very supportive for traditional uh, fossil fuels. So if you are um, you know bullish on energy, I think you know Canadian energy is something to consider at this point. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate both Alfred and Chris sharing your thoughts today. And I want to shout out to the audience. Thanks for also joining this week. As you can tune back in next week for further updates as they relate towards the overall markets and position in regards towards exchange traded funds. Thank you for joining us again once more. Have yourself a good week ahead. Cheers. Thank you to Kevin Prince, Chris McKinney, and Alfred Lee for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about political considerations that could impact client portfolios as well as ETFs to help manage rising uncertainty. Our experts discussed an entire suite of tools to manage inflation risk, including ZTIP, an ETF linked to U.S. Treasuries, and the BMO Real Return Bond Fund Index ETF, ticker ZRR. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.